0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Good morning, good evening, good night. NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the
2: business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard.
1: Uh, You could be right, but you're wrong. (laughs) Good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of the day it is, Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel listeners on the New Books Network. Uh, welcome to the first episode of our new series. And I'm here with our special guest, Annette, and our co host, Kimon. Annette, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners, assuming that they're reasonably intelligent or very intelligent, but that they've never met you before?
0: Sure. Okay, where do I start? Um, okay, so I am based in Ireland. Um, I was born here. I spent a lot of time in the states uh, during the course of my career. Um, at the moment, I run a, a, a growth solutions company um, that helps uh, companies within the localization industry with inorganic and organic growth through staffing solutions and through MA. I've got three kids. Um, they're now a bit bigger, so I can devote a little bit more time to work. Um, but it's still always an interesting balance. Now they're teenagers, so it's an even different, an even different challenge. Um, I am passionate about well being and I jump in the Irish Sea every morning for kicks.
2: Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Are you doing? It? Yeah, You're like what are they called? Like polar bear, polar whatever yeah. the polar bears or whatever. Yeah, what yeah.
0: I only started three years ago. As a kid, actually, I remember being in Tremor Beach, shivering and wondering why. And then, of God, my parents had taken me there, um, so I never swam in the, as a kid. But um, three years ago, I started with a bunch of women, bunch of moms in the school, and we started in September. We said we go through the the winter, and this is our third year.
2: So, so yeah. like, so, so, hold on a second. Like, seriously, like every day you jump into the sea. Yes. Every day every day Yes.
0: every morning yeah i get up
2: and like and do you actually swim or do you just get cold and get out like what
0: well it depends you wouldn't swim in the winter time in the winter time it gets down to you know just about one and a half two degrees so you're literally right. in and out but in the, in the summertime you swim yeah Okay. out to the boys and back but not not i'm not a super big swimmer i mean i'm trying but really dipper i suppose is the so that thing. has like
2: some uh i, I know we're going to talk this isn't a health, health and well-being podcast <laughs> but, but i actually have to sorry dig in here a little bit because i'm just kind of curious so there, there are health i mean there are health benefits there's supposedly a lot of health benefits for jumping yeah. in so what what are what are what are some well, the, what are the some...
0: number one thing is that, that i've heard i mean i don't know how true it is I'll, I'll test it later i suppose but it's supposed to be very good for preventing alzheimer's um so apparently if you immerse yourself in cold water regularly on a regular basis there's good research out there to say that it's a it's an alzheimer's preventative so since i'm not doing tons of quizzes and mind games (laughs) i'm going to just jump in the sea yeah (laughs) <laughs> but i don't know i don't know yet. we'll figure it talk to me when i'm 90
2: <laughs> i know but that's crazy that that like yeah. i know that i hadn't heard of basically yeah so actually yeah. you should be very honored because richard he took an executive decision right in the intro he decided that you're the first episode of the next season which oh
1: wow
0: good for you
2: congratulations on that, on, that, on that achievement like he did thank you Position to be there.
1: Yeah, uh, but we would. Uh, this is actually um, not a consulted decision. <laughs> and um, yeah, it we, sounds
0: we, like Kimon we, is surprised. Yeah,
1: we, I mean, you know, but it's the only way to get things. No, the the point is that um, we're. We've got quite a few episodes that we recorded over the summer, and we're starting our next season uh, soon. So, so that and m- my brother does sw- is a member of the Serpentine Swimming Club, and he actually swims up and down in the Serpentine all year round. Which oh, is wow. this lake in Lake, I think it's in Hyde Park, and it's or Green Park. It's Hyde Park, and it's really cold. And it, he well, I does mean, it. lakes are
0: even colder than the sea. Yeah. You can touch and, and,
1: and he, they really swim. They, there's a bunch of them, and it's very, it's a very diverse bunch of eccentric, <laughs> eccentric yeah. people who live in London who swim in this freezing water up and down. And he's in for about five or ten minutes. So it's, I'm, I'm used. To, I'm not as shocked as I otherwise would be, but I. Am. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, it's just, I, I, just don't, I don't like cold. Like, yeah, but I, I. I you know, I, I don't even want to take a cold shower. I mean, they'd say take a cold shower. I don't even want to do that. Get, no, get I mean, around. I
0: don't want to do that, but it's it's a different experience. You could try it, but I would say start in September because that's when the sea is the warmest.
2: Mm. All right, but- and then we'll work up to the... Yeah, to the, work to the around, and, yeah, work your
0: way
1: around. Yeah, work up to the uh, top stuff. And, and so, <laughs> so that, that that sort of pushing yourself hints at maybe some kind of sort of inner inner drive. Were you were you always competitive? Did you like to sort of do things that other people found difficult? So, they'd say like, were you were you a runner or a, or or a sports person when you were a bit younger?
0: Yeah, I actually won the uh, under the under no under seventeen All Ireland uh, handball um, championship no in no like, way. Yeah, well, I was the single player. It was a team. So we had a doubles. We had two singles. I was first singles. Um, yes, yeah, so we went to Mosney. I don't know whether it was under 15 or under 17. I can't remember. But yeah, that would have been very unusual for women because typically it's a man's sport. And, you know, there's not right. a whole lot of they don't actually it doesn't it's, you can't go professional. You can only get up to a certain level after 18. You can't go professional to do it. But yeah, so I did that when I was young, which, again, was quite unusual. And then I've always been involved in sport. Um I came back from the States. I have to spend a long time there and was really frustrated because there was no um, there was no aerobics that you could go to back then. It was step aerobics. (laughs) And I loved it so much that I decided to become an instructor and uh, teach. No way. You were an aerobics instructor. Yeah,
2: we're here. I mean, when you came back to Ireland. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because there was just no step here. It was really frustrating. I moved back down to the country. There was no classes. So I said, look, I'll just become an instructor myself and teach classes. So, So I did that. Um, yeah, for for a period of time. Yeah,
1: and, and I'll will jump in there and just say for listeners that this is a sign of an entrepreneur. You show up, something's not available, and you just start a, start an organisation to, to to solve your own problem, presumably that of other people exactly. as well exactly
0: <laughs> exactly so that was a long time ago yeah 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 I started a silver jewelry shop at so the tell time. us the story because and that you know I I
2: know you obviously we know each other for but I actually don't know I actually don't know the like so first of all you talk about going to the states but maybe before that so what you were so yeah. first of all I guess when you were in like high school or great or whatever it's called uh, high school basically um, in Ireland, you did this. You you were this very obviously very competitive because to, to to win the Irish Championship of Handball, I'm sure you know that that that's that's a trait. But then, so then, did you go to college after that? Or what, I did. What were yeah, to I to went us to college about your yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to college. I um, went to the College of Marketing and Design in Dublin. Uh, which was it was started off with a, just a certificate course and then into a diploma course um, back then marketing was uh, window design <laughs> so <laughs> I remember going to the big department store in Dublin and sitting in the window arranging surf boxes which is like a, a washing up liquid kind of thing or washing powder kind of thing and that was marketing <laughs> that's as sophisticated as it got you know <laughs> that was retail marketing so I did that for three years and then decided I you know I was I was fed up with that and I wanted to to go and do something real so I I I got a job selling advertising um, but I was selling advertising for um, for this fashion magazine and of course they didn't pay you back then you just got to go to all of Commission. the really good no no commission well commission yeah but then you got to go to the good parties you know that when they were promoting Ah. you know (laughs) promoting the perfumes promoting the liquor promoting the bag you got to go to those for free of course you were starving so you're filling your bag with all the sandwiches (laughs) sticking the liquor in your bag um and then working on commission only and after that then um i got a job with a company called company called well actually no i went straight to the irish independent newspapers and started selling advertising Again, there was a bit of a salary there, but everybody was sitting at their desk smoking cigarettes. So the the whole place was just full of smoke and everybody had an ashtray on their desk and everybody smoking at the desk.
1: (laughs) So can you just give us a decade? What decade are we talking? The 1990s? Yeah, 1990s, 1990s. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So it was was probably about 1991, 92, something like that. Uh, Yeah, so that was hilarious and really enjoyed that. And I used to to sell advertising, go off and sell, you know, different pages and stuff. Did you smoke back then? Uh, well, I had to to fit in. <laughs> I go, like, I'm just trying thing. to
2: fit this into the wellness uh, yeah. thing. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> I needed to fit in, so I'd like puff water too, and yeah, it was hilarious.
2: Unfortunately, your kids may see this. And yeah, know, may, but
0: <laughs> yeah, they they'll never know. I think there's some probably some some photographs of old days that will give it away, but yeah, yeah. And then after that, my friend, somebody approached me and said, "Listen, there's a there's a job going in a company called Rentakill. And and I thought this is horrific. But then she said, there's a company car and being broke and selling advertising. I thought, oh, company car, I'll, I'll take that. So I discovered that after I took the job, that it was it involved going around to um, pubs and restaurants and basically selling Tampax dispensers, which is oh, wow. not very glamorous. <laughs> so I used to travel around in my car with all of those, you know, the bins that you see in toilets with all the, the Tampax. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to travel around in those in the car. And then I am Hey, going, what do
2: you do? <laughs> Tell me about your dress. <laughs>
0: And then one night i remember going to a rave i went to a rave and uh, i end up because you stay up all night and uh yeah. brought friends home and had to give them a lift home the next day and open the boot to put in their stuff and one of them says <laughs> what are these <laughs> they're tampax dispensers <laughs> well it turns out this guy's brother um owned a company called iona technologies which was at the time a cutting edge object technology company and he said what are you doing selling this stuff come over and uh, do an interview and sell sell object technology so i said okay Okay, Sure. So I went in for the interview (laughs) and I remember sitting down with my flatmate and he said, "Um, so I'm like, okay, so what's a monitor? What's a keyboard? Just break it down for me. I have no idea. (laughs) So he was like, okay, this is a monitor. This is a keyboard. This is an operating system. So I went into the interview and I sat down, they all sat around the table and the woman said to me, so you've been selling advertising? And you've been selling Tampax dispensers. What makes you think you can sell object technology? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, you know, I said, I have this philosophy that you can sell, you can sell. So the product is, you know, that anybody can learn the product. So they actually they couriered over my offer that night. And that was my my journey out of. uh, Yeah. Selling Tampax dispensers, basically. And then
2: you clearly, <laughs> I love, uh, Richard knows this because he knows me from having these conversations, but I just love the sales background. I think that's like, basically you came from very strong and the yeah. hardest, yeah. the yeah. hardest jobs. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah, those yeah, yeah. are the hardest jobs, but those are the ones that build character and teach you a lot of things. There's a lot there, a lot of resilience, a lot of rejection.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff you get out of that job so um so then what so then so that was another sales job but then like that how did you get sales so, job.
0: yeah and then yeah.
2: how did you get to the U.S. or like what were you doing in the U.S. or is that the U.S. was much later or i, I just trying to get yeah
0: so way. the U.S. was earlier and later actually prior to all of that I did spend a couple of stints in the U.S as a student where I stayed over and like that, I did door to door sales. I was selling car packages, basically call into offices, you know, and trying to sell. You know, I remember getting up in the morning. We used to have these motivation meetings and we'd all stand there. We go, how's everybody feeling? And everybody go, fantastic, terrific, great. I feel wonderful. Right on, right on. <laughs> and this was like the pump meeting in the morning and then we'd all go off and be dropped off to these you know to these parks and uh and we'd sell our packages so i sold out every day as that was my beginning in my sales career. yeah you
2: had a huge advantage with yeah. the irish accent <laughs> of course I, a of huge course. advantage there in the u.s
0: oh yes yeah. hello buy some things for me <laughs> yeah basically it worked really well so anyway after that i went back and that's when i start getting that's when i went into the sales job but i own a was growing really fast at the time. So um, I went in as a kind of a lead developer and then they promoted me to an account manager. And then after a year and a half, uh, they needed somebody to go up and open the Boston office for them. So nice. I moved over to Boston with two or three people and we opened up the Boston office and uh, worked with them for, for a long time. And eventually I just got really fed up of not understanding what the hell object technology was. <laughs>
2: Can, can, you never, can, really, can, you never can, really tackled I that should, from the I beginning could. to the end no, could you no explain idea. what
1: it could you explain oh. to our listeners in a sentence probably probably not
0: okay I can try I you can only try.
1: worked there for 25 years
0: yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> essentially back then it was it was what we have as, as cloud computing today you know where, where different computers could talk to each other you know outside of you know hp could talk to microsoft whatever it was outside it was the first in in objects basically if anybody's because listened to that that's technical they go how did anybody ever buy anything
1: from her no i, I think that's I a, that's enough that, that that's yeah, a very I good explanation thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so after that, then I decided I, I decided I would try out recruitment. I actually got headhunted to, to go and work with the recruitment agency. And it was only then I began to put the pieces together. So this was a, a recruitment company in, in Boston called The Computer Merchant. And I I recruited for uh, lots of IT jobs. And then the puzzle started to kind of clear up. And I thought, oh, OK, this fits in here and that fits in here. And and I really liked it because I guess it was a bit of a softer sell. hmm. Um, what I didn't like was there was a whole this this culture of presenteeism. They basically they built this office that was like uh, the firm. So it was really beautiful, sweeping staircase, big boardroom. But all of the offices and you had your own were glass. And we were like goldfish in there. So we had to stay from eight o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And if you weren't oh my there, God. it was it was just yeah. And they hung this carrot going, you know, you'll make over six figures. Dah, dah, mm. dah, dah. So you just had to be there. So ever since then, I I hate that culture. Um, right of, of, of so that's when you
2: to, got into the whole res- recruitment. recruitment thing but again there you were so what but you were you were you were were you actually doing recruitment or were you actually what were you or you were selling I was doing recruitment. yeah okay
0: yeah but back then recruitment was selling so you were the account manager you were the recruiter like, okay you, you it was the whole full so selling, selling.
2: so basically you learned the, the the business basically i mean exactly
0: exactly soup to nuts there was no such thing as sourcer recruiter account manager like it is today you know it's it's uh, it's come on a long way but back then you just did you did everything you found the accounts you found the people you you know you managed the database you did the whole lot so that was really good training ground you know even though it was long hours and from there then i i took a job um with a company basically as their in-house talent uh, manager um, i was a consultant so um they needed to hire a bunch of other consultants so i i started a company basically and found them other people and put them on my books over there so that was the beginning of kind of the consulting business
2: of this of the current business
0: not the current business okay. no that was in the states okay. um and so I. So did you that. actually
2: had a business in the states you had yeah. a consulting business in the states yes. Okay. i didn't know yeah. that
0: yeah 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 small small very niche i mean it was there yeah. were some resellers you know it was it was nothing to do with localization but it's you're
2: focusing on it then, focusing on it
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then after 9-11, um, I came home back to Dublin because my husband needed to come back. His, his dad was sick. And that's when I did the whole aerobics instructor thing and opened a couple of jewellery shops. One in. Uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs> what happened? What happened with those things? Did they still go well, they, in there?
0: Yeah, they went for a couple of years, but I got fed up selling jewelry. It was lovely when I went to Mexico to buy the jewelry. And, you know, that was really fun. And then, you know, it was it was a, kind of a break. I took a year out and ran them myself and then put a manager in. And then, you know, so one day I was up here in work and somebody called me and said, listen, your shop is closed and the person is inside having their lunch with their feet up on the desk. Um, and no none of the customers can get in. So at that point, I thought <laughs> maybe better to
2: <laughs> retail is tough.
0: yeah Yeah, so maybe better to close them yeah
1: yeah i'm for i'm just there's so many lessons to write of that is and just for everyone who thought i'll set up a business and i'll put a manager in charge and then everything will be fine you heard it not just now. just because you put a manager in charge doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be fine they might be with their feet on the desk but eating a sandwich when yeah and
0: regularly walking with silver jewelry in their pockets taking them off to their friends (laughs) Mm,
1: yeah i mean so yeah if you don't know what's going on it's usually worse than you Worse than you think. And before we get on to the start of the, the, the business you know... Ron, I'd just like to ask a bit about your sort of your teenage years, because apart from being really, really sporty, did you have like, it doesn't sound like you were driven to go into business because that, I mean, but you're obviously working. So did you, you needed the money, did you, I mean, were you brought up in a situation where you had to work to make money and did you ever do any other businesses as a teenager and were there any role model entrepreneurs or business people in your family? You thought one, one day I want to be like them or was, what was that like?
2: It's yeah, at least well, actually, four questions, right? And the interviewer guide. What would you say?
1: <laughs> you missed the uh, fontakidus. This is the first time I've had a chance to speak.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did kiss the Blarney Stone, so you guys are in trouble. No, um, uh, yeah. So I guess my, my entire family are, are self employed, bar my younger sister. So my dad, uh, you know, he he started a garage, um, a car garage. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was it was small stuff. He repaired cars and then he ended up employing a few people. But then his sons, my two brothers, took it over. Um, And then one of my brothers bought the other brother out. And so I've come from a family of basically entrepreneurs. Um, When I first started this business, I started with my sister. It was called Synergy Recruit. And we did that for five, six, seven years. Um, But we were at different stages in our life. I had kids. She didn't. You know, she. It was a lifestyle business for her. I wanted to bring it somewhere else. We just had different views. So to keep our relationship, we decided to split the business. So, yeah, that's why basically. But I always wanted to work. I remember my mother telling me at age thirteen, go. I went into uh, uh, one of those big old houses and told them that I I wanted a job, and they gave me a job. <laughs> cleaning in the place and so I was there for a week and the the owner of the house called my mom and said listen I think she's lied about her age because she's absolutely right I told them I was 16 but then I was just so tired at the end of the day I couldn't I couldn't sleep <laughs> so so yeah I think it, did you I do think a good job from, did they pay you I did a good job yeah yeah one <laughs> week I did a good job but I think it comes from just seeing um you know there was big strong work ethic in our house and and that's something that's carried through for me yeah have I answered all four
2: questions? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no, he, he he rattled off four. I don't know. I, I I'm waiting for him <laughs> to follow um, up now. And, and he made the comment that he didn't get a word in edgewise, so I want to give him a chance to. <laughs> okay, okay, but uh, let's say did
1: because it's not what you did. You, you you got like sales jobs when you were uh, your first few jobs were sales jobs. So was it a long? What I mean is, was it a longer term goal to have your own business that you knew sooner or later you're going to do that? Or and if that was the case, why did you wait as long as you? did before taking the plunge?
0: Yeah, so I needed, there was nobody supporting me. So, and and I don't come from money. We're a working class family. So, you know, it was either you get out loans and, you know, hope that, the, that it'll pay it back or you build up enough capital to start something. Although, mm. you know, when I did start this business, I, I was four weeks pregnant (laughs) I came home to my husband and said listen I've just quit my job (laughs) so to start the business I figured if I didn't do it then I was never going to do it so uh yeah so that wasn't really it wasn't really planned it kind of just happened um but yeah I mean I guess I'm plagued with the 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 idea that if whatever stage of life I'm in, if there's a problem, I figure I can make a business out of it. So, you know, when my kids are smaller and I couldn't find the clothes I wanted, I thought, oh, maybe I'll start a kid's clothing company or so whatever it is, the problem that I'm facing at that particular time, I want to start a business out of it. Now, thankfully, at age 50, I've just I've discovered that that's what it is. (laughs) So I'm not going and starting all of these businesses.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is interesting. So talk us through how you got from, so you you came back, you 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 set up the aerobics yep. and the 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 jewelry shops. yeah, then what happened after that?
0: So then, um I decided I didn't want to live down the country anymore. Well, my husband is from Dublin, so he he didn't like it also down in the country. so he's he, you're always considered a blow-in if you're <laughs> <laughs> if you're from Dublin, down the country here, it was just, yeah, we we needed to move back to the city. So I took a job managing uh, an i t division of a recruitment company up here. And um, while I was working there, um, Lionbridge were one of our clients, actually. And I remember placing two localization project managers in Lionbridge, and I just loved the I loved the roles. I loved the, the the industry, the fact that there was, you know, language associated, that you were talking to people from everywhere. So um, when I when I decided to, when I got pregnant four weeks in, and then quit my job, um, literally that was the Friday. And then on the Monday morning, we were in an office with the telephone and computer. And my first business development call was to uh, Siobhan and Vistatech. <laughs> and I oh. called her and said, listen, you know, I've just set up a new business. Did it? She had no idea who I was. She said, actually, yeah, I'm looking, for, um, I'm looking for a project manager and something else. And it just, it went from there. So the, the the initial business was, I managed the localization side of it, tried to develop clients there, mainly in Ireland. And then it kind of went on from that. And then my, my sister and business partner, she did the multilingual stuff. So she would do, you know, um, call center customer service multilingual tech support that kind of thing um so yeah it just it just kind of evolved from there and then when she left the business i rebranded as line people that was back in 2013 and focused solely just on on localization and globalization and that
1: has been sorry go ahead I was just wondering whether you're going to focus on recruiting people for Lionbridge and your name was just to make them feel secure.
2: No, he doesn't know Richard isn't from the industry and most of the people listening to the podcast aren't from the industry. So maybe explain to him why your name i know why but yeah it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> so basically i thought i was being really smart and clever when i rebranded it and said it was l10n people which is means localization it's the number of letters between l and n spells localization and i thought i was being really really clever by doing that and everybody just said oh you're line people you're part of line bridge so i got so bored with it i just said oh second i'll just change it to line people
1: <laughs> i see so i fell into the trap uh, yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was L10N but yes, it turned L-10-N. into Lion
1: Yeah, there. I got it, I get it. Exactly. But
2: that's what in in, our, in 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 the the company we we have in Argos here in Poland they they actually call the department Lion the the, the look the engineers they call them the yes. Lion department actually it's cuz yes. the L10N it was the L10N, L-10-N. department they call them Lion. So
1: yeah, that's, that's yeah, a yeah.
2: that's a typical thing. <clears throat> so yeah. the industry has been what I wanted to ask was the industry cuz like i I know this industry like this has been good for you. I mean, like, cause oh, yeah. This is a great industry, right? I mean, it's as it continues to grow, and and so maybe just talk us through a little bit about the the success of your business and how it's grown. I mean, so you took st- us from the the four weeks uh, was it four it was four weeks present, right? It wasn't yeah. four months. It was yeah. four weeks pregnant. Four weeks. Four weeks. Pre- four weeks yeah. pregnant. Yeah. Uh, first call to Vistatech to yeah. today uh, yeah. to, to give us the because this is the main story, right? I mean, this is yeah. the big. This is this is the main story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, we've kind of mapped the industry. I mean, I, back then I really hadn't a clue uh, what localization was. I had no idea what the industry was. I I, I just knew that I liked the positions and I <clears throat> knew that to survive because recruitment has always been, um, you know, there's a lot of competition. And so in order to differentiate yourself, you've you've got to be different in some way. So I decided this would be our niche. And then I discovered quite quickly that actually there wasn't a lot of competition doing what we did. So, you know, back then there was a couple of single players here and there doing bits and pieces, but there was no real competitors doing just uh, localization recruitment. So it I discovered quite quickly that it would be very easy to build a reputation uh, in the industry if you just kind of focused. And I did it very, very slowly because, you know, I had small babies Um, You know, it was a lifestyle business for for a long, long time for me. And I was trying to, you know, I remember I'd separated the business as well. Um, You know, once we rebranded, everything kind of got separated in two. So essentially, I was starting from scratch again. But now, I mean, we we are providers for, you know, all of the the large companies, medium size, Um, they come to us for a variety of different things. But we also supply client side. Um, we supply some of the technology companies, um, we do some managed services work, um, we work with, with Viacom as well actually in Poland, so we're starting to do, you know, some other stuff outside of that, and then I suppose as the, the language industry evolved, we started to see that the roles were changing, so, you know, what we had before was, and of course we still do today, with sales and project management and, and so on, And now, um, you know, we started to see more content developers, SEO, SEM people. um, And so we we kind of branched off into into marketing. So we started to build um, some some, uh, database of candidates in that area. And then the next iteration of that then was, um, of course, training data. And so, you know, we we started to work with some of the companies like Appen and so on, where where they were, you know, well-established and build up a database of those people. And then we started to get a bit of a reputation there. And so we were brought in by pure play kind of training data companies that didn't come from the localization industry. So two sides. And And that's actually... That's been really interesting for me because it's bringing
2: me back. That's a very, uh, I I think you need to talk a little bit more, explain this a little bit, because I don't think anybody, I I actually know what you're talking about, but I don't, uh, Richard, you might not, and I'm sure the listeners don't. um, When you say data, training data, Obviously, I mean, you're talking about training like AI models, I assume. And and so how does and what 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 do those people do and how do you find them? So actually,
0: primarily what we're doing is the salespeople. So we're doing some of the technical roles as well. Okay, Um, but it's a lot of salespeople because there's a huge shortage of People that have that experience. Um, okay, so you're so, not in the
2: technical side of it. It's, I mean, well, or mostly, as well, yeah. as well,
0: as well, some of that. Yeah. I mean, but like it's customer service. Um, you know, it's, it's customer service and sales. So again, it's business positions. It's the business mm-hmm. positions. Um, some of the uh, some of the software engineering positions as well. Some tools development stuff. Um, some data annotation. Just if it's contracting stuff, some of the data annotators. Um, but with the sales the sales one is really where we've built up. Um, okay. a good database. Um, so, I mean, we came into one company in particular, they've been struggling to put in their CSO and we put that in within six weeks of being introduced. And we were introduced by somebody who's in that space in the localization industry who knew us. So I think a lot of the stuff that we've done on the on the staffing side of things has been less down to marketing and more down to reputation, which is really important to me. So we have a reputation for honesty and integrity. And I think that's the biggest reputation. Yeah. That, and that's something that I really want to hold true as we kind of grow and develop in the industry. So because of that, we get a lot of referrals. I mean, we don't have an outbound sales team. I'm trying mm-hmm. to rectify that at the moment, but everything is inbound. So, you know, we're trying to get to that point. So so that's the staffing side of the business. And then, then the next evolution of that was, I mean, of course, COVID hit. We'd already started to, to look at the idea just because we had relationships with CEOs of companies of all sizes. So the you know, the large companies, the boutique companies, the smaller agencies, a lot of those were coming to us anyway to say, you know, do you know companies that might be interested in partnering? Because of course the landscape is changing with private equity and all of the um, you know, the the industry is very fragmented. But the one thing I didn't want to do, even though some of my competitors were doing it, is just say, oh, now I do MA. Because I actually, you know what, I don't know anything about MA. I do now, I didn't then. Um, and again, back down to the idea of I don't want to go back to selling object technology and, you know, getting right. on a call and not having a clue what I'm talking about. So I decided to partner with Olga Blasco when we did that. And Olga, of course, you know, has done this before we localize. OK, yeah. so
2: you've set up this is a separate the, the m and piece of your, I actually wasn't aware of that.
0: The m and It's not separate. It's still oh. part of the business, but she's a partner <clears throat> in it. Okay. Um, okay. And so, you know, she's our on-site expert and she's part partner in that, in that part of the business.
1: Okay.
0: Um, yeah. So, um, so that is that then, you know, we went to, to market with that and that was slow to take off, but we've had a really successful year with that so far. Um, I've just added two additional people to the team. And then during COVID uh, last year, of course, you know, we were hit pretty hard with that because January um, a lot of the work that we were doing in 2020 happened to be in Asia so we got we got hit there first and so then it trickled over and of course recruitment was hit really hard um, M&A everything stalled um, right. so during that time um, I was trying to figure out you know what else can we do so it, this this idea had been percolating in my head for a long long time um, and this is the idea of building um, a learning management system that would have uh, these consultants because i talk to consultants all the time that have gone from you know working all the way up to sea level and now they're consultants but actually they don't know how to sell themselves so they have these skills and they want to go and be a consultant but they have no idea how to sell themselves so what i've done is we've built um a learning management system basically and we're going to be uploading courses so that we've got a few up there that are being written at the moment and so the idea is this would be you know, a machine translation course d- developed by uh, Lara Castellanos, who's a machine translation expert. She'll write the course. And then if somebody does the course, um, it's a taster. So if they like it, then they can browse consultants and go and hire her then as a consultant. So we've a bunch of those. And that's really brand new. And that's kind of the last, the last that's,
2: stage. And that's, is, has that launched? I mean, is that, are you actually... Yeah,
0: yeah, the system is built, but now we, I'm, I'm in the process of just making an offer to somebody who's actually going to run that because, you know, I don't have the time to, to run that myself. Oh, so wow, this need, is crazy. That's a huge self.
2: like that must have been a big. Uh, well, let's put it this way. I've gone down that path of developing stuff. <laughs>
0: It's not software. We didn't develop the software. Okay. It's just a no, it's a learning management system that just sits on our site. So basically, okay. Okay. It's, okay. It's, it's so it's, yeah. it's, off off the the shelf. Shelf. it's an off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah.
2: something off the shelf. It's an off-the-shelf. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's an So basically you're outsourcing the various different components. You're outsourcing the tech you're outsourcing the content uh, creation and then you're yeah, branding so it's a learning
0: it. management system with a okay. dashboard so basically it's software okay. that just sits in our website um okay. you know so but we you know we've got the so of course you've got the dilemma of, of you know these consultants might be brilliant at what they do but they don't necessarily know how to deliver an e-learning course so we've gotten videos done up basically to say this is how you develop the most compelling e-learning course and this is how you upload uh, your content onto the system and so that's all ready to go. But now we have to, that's the next piece. So now we have to see and to launch. So I'm,
2: I'm having, a, sorry, Richard, I am actually, we are just having a conversation, meaning <laughs> this is turned into, and that's I don't funny. want it to be like, I don't mean it to be like, but I am, so, I just have to ask though, how do you mon? like, I'm just going to ask a dumb question. How do you monetize? Yeah. I don't really think I'm understanding how you're monetizing you're making money on this basically yeah so
0: initially the initially eventually my hope is it would be subscription-based right but that's down the line that's right. going to take a long time right right for right now the courses would have a nominal fee and we that fee would be shared between the the person that delivers the course and us. okay so
2: the motivation for deliver for creating the course is you've got a platform where you're going to be able to sell it and then people will so basically i want to get this course you're going to take a cut, and the 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 yes. person who's uh, who's yep. created the course is going to take it. Okay, and, so that's, and then you're just going to build a catalog of courses, and yes. then you can get to some kind of a subscription. Like you obviously need yes. a bigger catalog to. Okay, I got it. Yeah, Sorry, and I mean you're going to take it from here on in.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean the benefit of that is twofold if it does work because it's extra links to our page, so it's building the brand, but also it's a shop window for the consultants and for the client. It's everything in one place. So I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's a huge and it's niche. So I mean, I think that's. Again, it's a. It, this is the project that's just starting, so we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes.
1: Okay, I, I want to jump back a bit, and I, it's okay me not being very active. I'm I'm happy listening. It's very interesting. When you obviously you had a skill of recruitment, and you had the, you came across this sector that you you liked the localization industry, and you thought. You could get into there and someone listening who's got a skill might think oh that means that if i find a growing sector i could get into that business and you know it is a very good idea if you know how to do something do a startup in something that's going to be much bigger tomorrow than today but how did you build my image of recruiters is it used to be all on the phone you'd be calling people up buy side sell side i've got a great candidate or do you want to change jobs if you're headhunting for on a on a on someone who's hiring and but to build your reputation, were you doing? What were you doing to sort of become the known person? Were you doing content? Because building a brand from scratch takes takes time and you called it lifestyle but nonetheless you don't seem like the sort of person who just like be chilled out and relaxing about it so could you sort of take us through the the actual process and whether that's changed as there's more tech and content creation and stuff for for brand building but particularly you know how did you get it off the ground how did you was it all telephone based or were you doing other stuff blood sweat
0: and tears (laughs) really like literally blood sweat and tears i mean it was just the case of on the phone 24 seven. And it was me, you know, initially it was just me and my sister. And then, you know, we had one or two other people. I was really lucky um, to be surrounded by, I mean, we didn't have a high turnover staff. Um, people stayed with me for a long, long time. So, um, you know, we, we kind of, got our name out there, but I, I I, was recruiting up until, you know, a year and a half ago. And today I still do. I still do make placements. I do a lot of the sea level stuff, um. but just building relationships with people over the phone, um. you know, for for a long, long time. So it was very, very slow. I mean, I've been doing this for a long, long time, but it's only really in the last while that it's it's beginning to grow because now we have more people. And, you know, my, my biggest issue is I thought I could do everything and I couldn't understand at the end of the day, why I'd spent, you know, 12 hours and hadn't achieved all the things that I need to achieve. And as a recruiter, you're time poor because you could work and work and work and work and work. And unless, you know, somebody accepts that job that you get the offer for, actually there's no money, you know, so it's, it's, it's a difficult business and anyone that says that it's easy, they're lying. You know, it's, it's, it's really a difficult business. Um, so it just, it just took a long time. So initially it was me just on the phone building relationships. And I remember going to the first ever Lock World. You're going to laugh at this, Kimon, but it's true. Back in back in London, I mean, long, long, long time ago. And I'd never actually even been to a conference. Um, of any kind. I mean, I was at the, the Orbix conferences way back when, you know, but not not a not a, a localization conference. And I remember sitting down looking around like this, going, Oh my god, it's like LinkedIn on legs. <laughs> and it was just so funny. And oh, I, what
2: an opportunity
1: for you. You must have been like, holy crap, this LinkedIn, is I love that LinkedIn, LinkedIn on, LinkedIn legs, on so.
0: legs. But actually, do you know what was so funny? Is and, and again you're gonna laugh at this. I actually had no idea. I paid full fare to go to this conference, but I had no idea that you could actually attend the horses. I thought you just go and you just go to the, you know, walk around where the boots were. So I spent two days. <laughs> Walking around the booths, you know, talking to people. They must have been like, "Who is this loser walking around the booths, <laughs> talking to people but for two days?" That's all I do
2: at those conferences. Sorry, I don't want to knock anybody who's a huge <laughs> fan of the content of these conferences.
1: But that's actually
2: all
0: but I do. I could do have anyway. done. With, I could have done with listening to the content. Back okay, then, yeah, yeah. Because you know, you're really a newbie. Have, you were a newbie. I was a newbie. You wanted to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To get so it was very fun, and I still laugh about that today. You know, it's the funniest, funniest thing. But yeah, so I guess then after that, I started attending the conference. Start meeting people in person. And then I had this idea that I always love marketing, even though it was window display, you know, putting surf boxes up in windows. But I had this idea that if you influ if you talk to influencers on video, and back then nobody was doing video. And I was really intrigued because I talked to so many people. And most people that I knew, in particular company owners, they they didn't have a language background. You know, they kind of fell into this because of life happening. You know, it was a happy happening somewhere along the way. So I thought it'd be really interesting to start. Um, a video podcast that would be called LT Talks, Localization Talent Talks, just to interview people about why they got started, how they got started, why they like it, the idea being that we would promote the industry, because I think in general the industry has been very, very poorly promoted um, and to raise kind of the profile and attract more talent in. So I did that for a long time um, and it was really successful. I did it at a lot of the the, um, conferences all over. And I loved doing it, it was brilliant. But then of course COVID hit and we wasn't doing them right. live anymore. So I, I wanna yeah.
2: I wanna take it back to sort of like general because this is the you know, this isn't a localization podcast. This is actually just an entrepreneurship and like we yeah. wanna try to help people. Like who are considering starting a business, and but one of the things I don't know if you're hearing this a lot, and what Annette's saying, Richard, but what I'm hearing a lot, and and I know it's very true in this particular space, is the building of relationships. Yeah. Um. Like because 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 sales isn't is it's it's you can't we're in a place where you can't just um sell something like you know just to turn around and sell something. And people have to try, as you said, they have to trust you and they have to know you. So like how like how important would you say that that's like Cause you keep talking about it, like in your business, like, is that like the fundamental thing? And like, I guess when you, when you're training your salespeople or whatever, maybe you don't have salespeople but like account managers, I don't know how you structure it but like account managers or whatever you have the people that manage the clients and stuff like that. Do, do you try to teach them this? I mean like, and, yeah. and what do they, and what do you tell them basically?
0: I tell them, never pick up the phone and say to somebody, I saw your profile on LinkedIn and I wonder if you're interested in my job. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like the worst thing you could possibly ever say to somebody. Um, You know, it's about, um, it's about what's in it for them and not what's in it for you. So, you know, you've got to, That's got to come across on the phone. So it's always about it's always consultative um, and it's always about, you know, what do you want to do next? How can I help you? And you're building trust from that. I remember actually Veronique saying to me one time as I met her in uh, in Dublin and we sat down back then. She was working in uh, Moravia. I think she was the chief sales officer there and we sat down and I said to her, so you know, tell me, you know, what are you interested in doing? What do you like doing? You we know, what what's what's your story. And she actually said to me, you're the first recruiter that's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever asked me that before. <laughs> and this was really unusual because everybody just they're trying to they're thinking about, can I fill my job? And I actually can't mm-hmm. stand recruiters. You know, they drive me mad because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so many unethical practices that happen. And so for the people that I hired on my team, most of them actually didn't come from a recruitment background. They most of them came from localization. You know, they were in vendor management, maybe or or outside the industry altogether. Um, because I think that it's very difficult to unlearn that. You have to remember you're changing somebody's life. And so just trying to put a square peg in the round hole for the sake of a fee is not, you're not going to build trust and you're not going to build integrity. And people are, I mean, people are your product. So you have to build trust.
2: (laughs) But so like when you're looking at it though, I mean, so obviously you, you need, you want to know the buyers. So you're looking to meet like owners of companies or people that fill positions but also at the same time they're also your potential product as well right because a lot I mean unless they're like just the owners of the business, you know if they're just like senior executives in these companies I mean they can also move as well so it's just part of it is just like getting to know people without any without any sort of you know intention like you have nothing like I have nothing to offer you I have nothing to sell you but I want to get to know you because there's a there's, there's a potential value in this in the future
0: yeah and i think it's about being authentic i mean i remember going to um to lock World later on you know when it's when it was in uh, uh california and you go you walk into the room and there's always those people in the room and they they look at you you know and they they look from your eyes down to your name tag and then if you're not you know if they don't deem that you're you know worthy enough for them to speak to or interesting enough they just move on and i just think it's horrible i really hate it. I can't stand it. And I just think the best thing is just talk to a person because they're a person, not because of the job they're doing. And I think that comes across. You have to be real and you have to be true to yourself. And eventually, eventually that will that will hold true and it'll be a stronger build than anything else. I, I yeah. really firmly believe that.
2: I actually totally agree with you in that. And like I would say anybody who's listening to this, if you want to do sales, particularly I mean I'm not, you know, if you're selling widgets or I'm I'm sure there's some stuff that it might not matter for, but um like in today's like B two B world, um, there's looking for a quick win and a direct like sale is that you're not playing the long game. The long game is actually getting to know space, getting to know the players in the space, and spending the time to get to, to really develop relationships because you don't know where the where the payoff is going to be. And like, yeah. but the, and the truth is, I'm sure you can have lots of stories where the payoff like you just had no intention or no idea, and the, and then the payoff came. As a result of that or somebody referred or that person just told you know told somebody else about you and there was a payoff there so it's just basically yeah yeah
0: i mean i remember one another another situation where i was talking to somebody and they were you know really high up in sales and uh you know they were looking for a new role and i tried you know in every way to try and find them the right position but sometimes it's about timing you know i didn't have the right role at the time but because that person really liked the way they were treated, you know, when I was dealing with them as a candidate, when they went in and got that job in in the next company, I was the first person that they called and brought in as the agency. Exactly. You know, even even <laughs> though it wasn't the one, so it's you know that that that's you have to always just remember that you know it's 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 the long game essentially, as you it's said, the you long know. game.
1: And, yep. and not looking at the job title, I mean there are a couple of cases that Tim mentioned. The famous Australian comedian and songwriter said that he took really important decisions, like who was going to be his agent, based on how the person he was considering treated the least powerful person in the room. That he judged people by the way they treated the receptionist, the the barman, the the waitress. And quite a lot of companies, you know, the, the, they ask the receptionist how the candidates behaved in the reception area. Were they courteous? Were they friendly? Because, you know, it's, you want to see how people behave, not when they're performing. But when they don't think they're performing as well, because that's where you see the Richard. Authentic.
2: That's brilliant. Why did you never tell me that before? I have a reception. I have Yola here in the
1: reception.
0: You know how many? Uh,
2: you know how much insight we could have
0: gotten thanks to that.
1: You know, well, it's never too late yeah. to improve your processes, Kim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually,
0: Richard, that's one of the tips I give on if I'm if I'm talking to people about how to really find out what the candidates like not not reference, not reference checking, but doing exactly that. You know, seeing how they treat the people when they're not on, when they're not in the interview process on the way. Yeah, it's really and, good.
1: I used to be, I used to be a shareholder in a company that had a recruitment division, and I used to try and nag the CEO about some kind of automation technology. So there's a thing with remote asynchronous video interviewing, where you're on your you can you have basically the, the the thesis is that. Candidates don't like being asked the same questions again and again and again. So you can sort of have a robo-interview where you sort of tell us about your background, please introduce yourself, and that's recorded. And then there's a personalized bit where, you know, if you're the head of whatever marketing at Coke records a little introduction saying, thank you for applying. And the idea is that when the candidate clicks, goes onto your website, they can be sort of have this auto-interview when they're ready to be interviewed. and that greatly increases the diversity of candidates. Have you, have you, do you think that that kind of automation tech will ever, maybe you're doing it already, have you ever considered that or come across it? Do you no, think it's I just th- too, too, too robotic?
0: Yeah, I think it's fine if you have uh, volume recruitment, if you're if you're trying to recruit hundreds and hundreds of candidates, you know, maybe at the not a really, really senior level. I think that's OK for what we do. It's never going to be like that. It's it's based on relationships and you have to talk to the people and it's not volume. I mean, our our normal uh, rate to hire is three to five resumes to hire. So you're not sending hundreds of resumes and it's not volume stuff. So it's mm. it's different.
2: Maybe that could be a business for you though, for let's say this data annotation, like the stuff that's like yeah. low, like like that you do need to have a lot of volume for and they need to suddenly, sc- because <clears throat> that's a problem in the recruitment um, for recruitment for like vendor, mat- like the, the companies that are doing that kind of stuff, they, that's, that's a challenge for them. Yeah. Get, and the, so-
1: the, the, the use case wasn't volume. It was more like, suppose you're a sort of European manager for a big multinational and you've just, your, your CEO's. You know, fail to cancel the meeting at short notice for the umpteenth time, and you're really frustrated by the amount of attention you're getting. You get home late at night, and you're looking at your competitor's webpages because you know you're fed up. I'm, this is nothing against Coke; it's just anything. you're looking at the Pepsi website because you work for Coke. And if you can, you know, it's 11:30 at night, you can apply when you're really because the the initial screening. Well, this sounds like a very specific use case. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I think, I think. That, no, 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 no. It's, anyway, the point is that the, the the cases I heard were more more about senior people who don't, okay. have the time, who R- don't who want to take it. are and on their competitors' websites.
2: Yeah, late yeah, night. yeah, yeah. Drinking no,
0: Coke. I no. wish it was a Pepsi. No, I'm joking. No, I, I, no, we don't. I would. I don't use it. We, you know, I don't know if it would be suitable for us. But yeah, mm. I can. I can't. Okay. Really well,
1: talk. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell you the sock. (laughs)
0: have you invested in a business that's doing this stuff it's
1: a very complicated way of getting a sales lead for my side (laughs) project i'm glad you set up this podcast that's what this podcast is
2: all about damn all right we can
1: finish it up now And um, can you talk about the scale of your business? You're obviously doing a lot of things. I mean, is it ten people, a hundred people? Are you in the billions, oh, millions, God, no, and millions. No,
0: no, 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 no. look. Remember, recruitment for the localization industry is very, very. It's very specific. So there's only a few players. Um, you know, there's there's one company that's bigger than ours, based in the UK, and then we're the second largest actually. And at the moment, we're fourteen people in total. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, pretty big
1: for. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's big.
0: fourteen. It's it's uh, it's a, it's a big size for being so niche. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you're obviously you're obviously ambitious. Introducing to new business units like the M and A, and now you've got this this new thing you just just described with the training. And yeah, uh, is that because you, you you're sort of driven to sort of build it up to a massive scale, or are you just like, is it kind of built into your character? You're always just you see an opportunity and you can't stop yourself. Stop Listen, yourself if you from...
0: recruit people for fifteen years, trust me, you're going to want to do something else. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is you know, a great advert like, for the, are you just carefully and- putting your competitors off
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but really I mean I, I do love I do love talking to people I do love recruiting people but it you know it's it, you're not learning anything new after a while and it's just mm-hmm. nice to have a new challenge I loved the um the learning piece of the M&A stuff because it, it fascinated me the idea that you know you're going to figure out how much a company is worth you're going to figure out what makes them worth this and you know how are they going to be placed in the market and you know who's going to want them and and then actually just talking to business owners and you begin to realize that actually you're not going mad, that there's a ton of people out there just like you who think that they can achieve everything in a 12-hour day and wear 20 hats and wonder why they're not getting the job done. And that's actually really, really common we've discovered is that there's you know there's owners out there and they try to go to market with um what they have is a good business, but you know they're stuck in it for so long that they can't see that they need somebody on the outside to actually make the operations more lean or bring in additional sales or have new ideas and so that's been the really rewarding part actually that I wasn't expecting is that we get these sellers we go through the process with them the vetting process they go to market they discover that they're not going to get what they want so they come back to us and in a couple of cases we put in CEOs um, into those companies and now they're the companies are you know getting on really well they're thriving and so eventually it's a long game you know they, they will want to sell in two three years time but you know they will come to us of course for that then right and then there's we also partner with a couple of companies that do hands-on consulting so I'm not talking about going into a company and saying okay so you need to do X y and Z here's a list goodbye I'll never see you again because actually I think that's a big mistake because they're spending the money on it but they're back in the same situation whereby they just don't have the time and they don't need a full-time resource or they can't afford a full-time resource to do it so they need somebody who's actually going to go in and say right I'll give you half a salesperson for you know, but a really experienced one for however long. Or I'll give you you know, really experienced operations person who's going to figure out what's wrong here, and then they do it. They actually do the work, so they're like part of the staff. Right. So we—that's so the kind of thing. So we're looking at kind of productizing the consulting offering because it's it's a need that's coming out of building the seller database, where, where there is less sellers, of course, than buyers.
2: I'll give you another. I'll give you another idea. Um, the, the 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 people that sell their business they're the natural ones that then become consultants, uh, because they know stuff. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, have you ever thought of, uh, this is something that I've thought about. I mean, like if, if I was ever somebody, would what I would I ever wanted, would I want to ever do anything like that? And then what would it take for me to do that? And I was like, would, did you ever look at, and I'm just throwing, I have no idea if anybody thinks like this, so I'm, but would you throw out like, uh, equity share like would you cause like imagine somebody that sold their business they could truly add value. like they'd like to come like and then you have another person that wants to sell their business or they want to get their business up to speed and like so so this person says look i'll be a consultant i'll come in and i'll help you take your business and you know, it, it sounds almost sort of like what you're doing. And I'm just wondering, would there ever be any sort of equity consideration in yeah, a yeah. deal like I mean, that's that? The ide- or, is that a typical it's, thing, or is that a crazy? Or, what, 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 no, no,
0: no, that? that's, that's that's it. I mean, obviously, you're not going to sign. You're not going to give away, away equity when you offer somebody a job. But right. it's equity. for It's sweat equity, essentially. Right. I mean, it's equity exactly. for sweat. So you come on and sweat either equity, A, exactly. sweat equity. So either A, you, you know, they invest in the company to a certain extent to show mm-hmm. that they're interested if they're going to get shares straight off the bat. But if they're not investing, mm-hmm. then they come in and after, he- hitting certain kpis after a year there's a you know there's an agreement based on trust it's typically not written mm-hmm. down right. that at the end of a year if you hit this what you know you will share then in this in the sale of the company i mean a lot of these companies they might be selling into um you know they might be quite regional They're, they need somebody who's got a big breadth of experience, but you're not going to get somebody to come in as a CEO, you know, with that breadth of experience to just manage a smaller agency. It has to be attractive. Right. So that's what makes it attractive. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Absolutely.
2: Yeah. That's, that's what absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so back to you. Sorry, sorry.
1: go ahead. Richard. I was going to say, so in a way, you're almost like so operations and management consultants, aren't you? You're you're figuring out what the company needs and sort of helping the owners restructure to some extent in that way. Would, would
0: Today, say- yeah, I suppose that's what our M&A team does as well today and and ourselves. So I guess the M&A team will go through, you know, vetting the sellers, figuring out are they ready, you know, what's the problem? And then if they're not and if we get to that point where where we need to help them get ready, then they come back and I'll get involved at that point and we'll look at the consultants we have, we we'll look at the staffing team we have and we'll give them a solution from there. So it's like the piece in the middle. That's why this consultants and the training is the piece in the middle. Um, to kind of bring those two divisions together. So essentially, it's growth. It's growth solutions.
2: Right. That's what you called it at the beginning. I was like, when yeah. you na- when you described your company, I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is it a net recruitment <laughs> An M and A? What is exactly. that?
0: It's rebranding. Come on, we're rebranding it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: So, but I want to continue on with the line that Richard was taking. So, like, what's, what's going to, so like, you know, you're still, you're still young. So, what's going to happen? Like, what's going to, yeah, I mean, whatever, you can make that face, but you're still young and (laughs) abstract, you know, and and you're a woman, which means you're going to live forever compared to us. So, like, like what, and you've got this healthy living and all this stuff. So, what are you going to do? Like, what's the plan? Like, I I don't know as much as you want to share it, but I'm just kind of curious, like, what's your, thought, pro- like, like, so in, you, you know, you commented, it was a lifestyle business, but now I'm taking it more serious, whatever you're so like, do you have a like, where are you taking this thing and how how far are you taking it? And what's the end game for, for you?
0: For the moment, I'm really enjoying the fact that I can, you know, do more with it because it's been it's been going on for a long time and I'm ready to kind of, you know, put on the big, big girl pants, if you will, and try and <laughs> try and, you know, um, and really develop it to its full potential. So I'm enjoying that at the moment. Um, I am also advising um, a company called We Thrive. It's really nothing at the moment. It's just starting. That's a passion project, mm-hmm. um, and that's based on well-being, and it's uh, it's based on mind, body, heart, and gut. Um, that you have to have balance in all of those four things in order to have be truly happy and you know function well and all those different things. So, so sorry,
2: let's just let's, let's take a little bit. Uh, so when you say I'm advising, what is that like? So you're well,
0: like, I'm just trying to help them get off the ground. I'm kind of help mm-hmm. help them come up with. So it's a know, company. To-
2: this is a company that.
0: Yeah, it's a company, but it's uh, it's friends of mine actually back from my um, mm-hmm. you know, way back in the day. One of them is technical, the other one is you know sales, and then. Um, you know, there's a healthcare person involved in that and, and a friend. So it's just a group of us that are passionate about this. You know, some of them have been through quite a lot. One of them had a lot of loss. The other one had some, you know, wasn't well, had a lot of mm. uh, illness to deal with. And so it's just a, and also we all have teenage kids, you know, mm-hmm. and I think teenagers today, they really struggle, so, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the pandemic and there's a lot mm-hmm. of anxiety out there. And so, you social know, I'd love media. to get in. Yeah, social media is a huge problem. So I'd love to get more involved in that. I also love to cook. Um, so the, the idea of uh, gut health um, mm. is really something that we're very interested in. And I mean, I'd love to say I meditate. I don't, but I, I'd, I'd love to explore it a little bit more because I think that that's also you know really good. Uh, but it's just not it's not who I am. Yoga. You can and-
2: get an app. I've tried. I, 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 I'm i um a failed attempt, but I still actually have the app. Uh, you can get calm yeah. or whatever calm. Is yeah, exactly I, exactly. I have the other exactly. one. Uh, actually, can't remember what it's called. But yeah, um, so, so, is, so but I would like- do more
0: of that. I would like to do more of that eventually. But for right now, you know, I'm kind of I'm I'm happy doing this and building this. And I'm really, really lucky because I have. You know, Olga's amazing, love working with Olga. Um, I have Deborah, who's amazing on the MA team. You know, she's a huge amount of experience. Sharon McKim just joined us as well on the MA side, um, and she's a huge amount of experience. So I'm actually just learning from all of these people. And, you know, when you start off and, you, and you're working in a business for 15 years, like I just hadn't a clue in the beginning. I was just doing right. whatever. You know, so as I, as I, you know, progress, I've discovered that actually my confidence has grown so much through these people. Um, you know whereas I would have panicked you know about getting on to, to talk with an expert before you know Jesus well I know
2: what I'm said. not so sure I believe that you were selling that other stuff you were selling that other stuff all the way through to the end and you still didn't know what it was So, <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah but when you get older you know you question things a little bit more but no really I think that you're No, I genuinely believe that uh, you know the team that you have around you is what everything is about uh, is,
1: is it? Is, is it all women I And mean, I, I, Argos is a, a very top heavy with women at the top of the business Um, but all the people you mentioned I think were female names so is that intentional or just the way it's worked out no
0: it's just the way it's worked out we did have Marcus with us for a long time fantastic Marcus from Spain and he was our sole man Um, now we have Piotr who's just joined us in uh, in Krakow he's only here a couple of weeks so he's our sole man now (laughs) so mainly women yeah but it hasn't been intentional it hasn't been intentional it's just the way it's, it's just the way it's worked out.
1: But there is a sort of stereotype that women are better communicators, which and I don't want to offend anyone with gender stereotyping, but there's something about perhaps the job you're doing which involves a lot of listening and reading reading signals and understanding people's motivations and but maybe you're just gonna close me down and say this is this is wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I I had some people actually come back to me and say, look, I want a consultant, but it has to be female because it has to have this, that and the other. I don't necessarily agree with that, actually. I think that it's about the fit. I think that, you know, there's there's some consultants out there and they just have one solution and it's plug and play and that solution will work for everything. But I think if you, you know, if you work with somebody and they truly understand and listen to what problems you're having and come up with a solution based on that, I think it's better. Um, it, It really is just a coincidence. I haven't made a conscious decision that women are better communicators it's just the way it's it's just the way it's it's panned out
1: mhm i want to ask about the way you have your company culture and the way you manage people and keep them motivated because obviously at the time you're running the jewelry store you perhaps (laughs) you 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 got you got something wrong but if someone listening you know you've now got a sizable team 14 people are there any things that you'd like to share about what you've learned is like really important in making sure that people are motivated and do their job well and hit their targets and are happy
0: don't micromanage them (laughs) <laughs> in any way. I mean, I really, really believe that. And and actually, I say in interviews to people, I had a, a woman the other day who said, so what are, what are the hours? And I said, I couldn't care less, actually. I really couldn't care less. As long as, you know, you want to do the job, the job gets done. Um, you're happy doing it. And, you know, obviously there's, you know, there's there's challenges to be met and we have to meet certain targets and so on and so forth. But I really believe that people should be happy coming to work. I think you have to trust them. Um, they have to trust you. And, you know, I don't believe in a lot of hierarchy. I think that uh, everybody on the team should be able to come up with an idea. And if it's a decent idea, they should be given the chance to uh, to develop it, as long as it makes sense and it's not going to cost a fortune, they can back it up. But um, yeah, I, I just believe in flat structure. I believe in honesty and integrity. People believe people should come to work because they want to, not because you know they have to. And and they should. It should be an enjoyable place.
1: Good summary. Um, what
2: what what like you, you you talked a bunch of times of or it sounds like you're saying a couple of times about like having to work twelve hour days or whatever, really trying to do everything yourself do, is that is that something that you have improved on or is that something or in terms of just also like I don't know it's a question of my I don't want to say micromanaging, but is it delegating or is it is is there or is it just too much to too many things you wanted to do or I don't know what what's the what was the source of that and did you figure out a way to?
0: Yeah. What did you figure <laughs> out?
2: How did you figure out to, how to solve it, basically?
0: Well, I mean, I, I didn't for a long time. I just did it because I had to do it. Um, but now, you know, I have divided the, the structure of the company has changed because I did manage a lot of the accounts myself, so I don't manage any accounts anymore. Um, so we have an account management team based here in Ireland and they have a team of sourcers underneath them. Um, so they basically and, and then they have a deputy account manager. So basically the sourcers do all the sourcing, they pass it up to the deputy account managers. Kind of the first screen goes to the account manager who's the final screen. They manage all the accounts. Um, same with the MA side, you know, all of that is done by the MA team. And um eventually I've gotten somebody in marketing, and eventually I've gotten somebody in accounts because I was doing that for the longest time. Well. Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I literally have just stopped trying to wear so many hats. But there is one
2: problem that I suspect you have, which is because we talked about it. Relationships. Yeah, you have the you have been doing this for the the relationship. A lot of the key relationships, I suppose, are with you. And, you know, those pesky clients and those pesky people, they they only want to deal with it. Like, I'm sure it's how do you deal with they only want to deal with the net? Like, I have to believe that's a I have to believe that's a problem. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, it is and it isn't. I I would be lying and saying that I just because I don't manage the accounts doesn't mean I don't talk to the accounts. So I'm usually there on the intake calls or if there's a big project, I'll be there on that. So I do spend a lot of my day all day still talking to clients. But, you know, when it comes to the nitty gritty of actually finding the candidates and sourcing them and managing the interviews and the setup, I don't do that. So I've gone from you know, basically doing all of that kind of admin type stuff and everything else. To so now I just I just talk a lot all day. You're the face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's
2: good.
1: Mm. Yeah. You've you've had loads of different sales jobs, and it's very difficult to get across. Everyone we we all agree it's important, and it's actually very difficult in the first few seconds of calling a total stranger to get their Get there confidence and not make you think oh my god it's a bloody salesman what and how how do you have you got any sort of good openers that you could share with our listeners like things you say at the beginning of a conversation which you fall back on when you can't think what else to say or like your what are your best opening lines as a salesperson
0: gosh it's it's, it's a it's a while since i've picked up and done a cold call but mm. <laughs> um you know i think the biggest the most important thing is you have to you, especially if it's a if it's a big enterprise account, you you've got to know um, who you're talking to, why you're talking to them, what their function is in the company, and you have to know a bit about them. I remember. Um, I was trying to break into uh, Uber <laughs> at the time to try and get in and provide them with staffing solutions. So I saw on, on LinkedIn that the, the guy that was in Uber heading up the ta-, the TA team or the localization team there had moved to another company. Um, I can't remember what the company was now, but he'd moved for, to that company. And uh, so I sent him a message and said, I could imagine, and he'd it, it said on his Twitter feed that he'd moved and it was really hard to leave no, actually, I can't remember, he'd moved to Uber, actually, from another company. It must have been really hard to leave that company and, you know, go on to this one. But I imagine the commute is easier because he'd actually said that right on his Twitter feed. And so he came back and said, you know, it's 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 really nice to have somebody reach out that actually knows me and is bothered to research, you know, why I left this job and that it's an easier commute and so on and so forth. So I think the key is you just you don't pick up the phone and just go, hi, I'm Annette and start blabbering off. You just have to do your research first.
2: Did you get the Uber account?
0: We did for a while, yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a small while. <laughs> they were really difficult to film. but
1: anyway. and, you know, yeah, I knew. Um, we're jumping over the place, but that often happens in our interviews because unlike you, <laughs> we're not, we're not like, super professional interviews, although I think we do okay. What I was going to ask Neither was okay, going back to your future plans, Um do you have a? Because do I don't think we got to your end game. Like, will you will you sell the company? Will you will you sell it to your management? Will you, uh, do you have like a like what, what you're going to be doing this when you're sixty or seventy? Or, or, or do you have a succession plan? Or what what have you got? I do, there? but I,
0: if I told you, I'd have to kill you.
1: <laughs> oh that's that's interesting you heard it first, if i die mysteriously first, first, first podcast thread richard <laughs> yes it had to happen well it will get there first on it <laughs> so if there's a mysterious accident in the next well we, we don't know when it's going out but it's going but, to be first but, Well,
0: my, uh, my nanny just passed away um three months ago and she was 99 so i've hopefully if i've if got her genes i'll, I'll have a, a little while to go still so i, I don't know
1: yeah. okay Okay, so you have a plan, but you're not going to share it. That's, that's fair enough.
0: It's probably
2: just going with the flow.
0: Go with the flow. Most yeah, exactly. Go with the flow.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Well, anyway, so I'm conscious of the time. This has been good. Richard, do you have any closing? I know you have your favorite. You have some favorite. Did you ask all your favorite questions?
1: I think I did. I did. I, I was going to, uh, there is one more, which is like for people who are listening, who maybe haven't started a business yet, but uh, you know the reason they listen to this is because they're thinking about it. Is there anything from your sort of your, your lifelong journey of all these different amazing ventures that you'd like to share with someone who's thinking about it, that sort of something you haven't shared yet that you think is really important?
0: Yeah, it's a bit like the Nike slogan, just do it. I mean, really, I, I couldn't, you know, it's, it's like anything in life, whether it's I want to be a runner, just plant the runners and go out the door and run. You know, I want to own a business. Just start it. make, you know, you, there's nothing like learning by doing. I'm a learning by doing person. And, you know, I suppose I'm willing to take risks. Maybe other people aren't willing to take risks. But if it's something that's percolating in the back of your head, do it. Take a step, take a small step and things will evolve. Um, I remember going to see this um, keynote speaker one time in Dublin and he's this 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 guy that lives in Bray. And uh, his book is called Small Steps. And he was when he was very young, he was in a he was in um, a fire in his car and basically he was really badly burned and his legs were so badly burned that they 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 couldn't move. So they couldn't basically they were stuck in one position. And uh, he went into the National Rehab Center up here in Dublin. He was it was just before his 21st birthday. And they said to him, look, we're going to move the legs one tiny little fraction every single day. And his goal was he wanted to walk down the steps of the nightclub up the road for his 21st and not be, you know, on crutches. So they moved them one tiny little bit every day for almost a year. And uh and he did walk down the steps, but he had to have he had to have um amputations eventually. And he uh he at the time he was working for a real estate company and they kept his job, he was an intern. He ended up managing and owning that whole retail brand across all over and he became the first double amputee pilot because he always wanted to fly ever so like it's just incredible and his message was small steps do tiny little bits every day and you'll get there so i just think just do it and do tiny bits every day to get to your goal
1: Mm, well what a what a good message to end on well, I'd like to thank you very much, but Cuman Cuman's does the formal thanks at the end of it. So I'm saying my thank you now, so I don't get <laughs> left out. That's really interesting. and over to you, Kiman. <laughs> All
2: right, well, before we thank before we thank Annette, um let's thank uh, let's thank the people that took the time to listen to us here talk. and I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed getting to know you, Annette um for the hour or so. That we talked here, a uh, really interesting story for sure. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, thank thanks you. to my daughter, Magda Fontekidis. She does the video editing and the teaser and the, some other stuff for us here on the podcast. The, one of my, uh, Annette, this is one of my secret, secret side ventures is to try to get my daughter jobs. And I do this <laughs> through the podcast, so. That's that. Uh, we have Magda Buisko. she's an intern. She's uh, 17 or 18 now. I, I, I want to get her age right. She's very young and she's very dynamic. She's doing all kinds of entrepreneurial stuff and she's got a great future ahead of us and she helps us out. So shout out to her and obviously the people at NBN who process this and make our voices sound crystal clear, regardless of the microphones that we're using, basically. And uh, so if you liked it, please do subscribe at MBM youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts and annette thank you so much i i know you uh i've known you for a while but i, I learned a lot about you today and uh you know i just love the i love the whole story from and, and and you know just the hardcore the hardcore sales stuff at the beginning i i truly believe that is a foundational in then allowing you to continue on and do it, it gives you that it gives you that resilience let's say in that it takes to be an entrepreneur but obviously it's in your blood basically based on what you told us so thanks a lot
0: thank you so much thanks richard thanks it's been a pleasure thank you